So how are we doing? Yeah, we're going to talk about money today. Let me try that question one more time. How are you guys doing? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll fix that right up, won't we? Last week, we started a conversation about money and generosity, how it is that Jesus shapes our perspective on money and material possessions. And one of the key things that we talked about last week was shifting our perspective of our relationship with money from that of a consumer to that of a steward. So as I think about the the money that I have in my life, Jesus shifts my perspective from that of a consumer, which by the way, every marketing company out there is telling me that's what I am. It's shifting that mentality, changing my perspective from that of a consumer to that of a steward. Now, steward is kind of an old-fashioned word, but I love it because a steward is someone who manages and deploys someone else's resources according to the values and desires of the owner. And so it helps me to recognize that the material possessions that I have in my life, at the end of the day, I don't actually own it. God owns it. And my responsibility to those resources is that of a steward. And if I have that mentality, it frees up my life to experience great joy as it relates to money. And possessions. And so, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna lean into this second part of the conversation. We're gonna talk about how it is that God chooses to delegate to us that responsibility and then how we're to respond. And so, I wanna be real practical today. I actually, there's four questions that I'm gonna give to you for you to answer. And, and in fact, um, in the back of the seat in front of you, or maybe somewhere around where you're sitting, you should see envelopes that are blank. And inside those envelopes are blank index cards. I want everyone to grab one of those, even if you're totally checked out this morning. You think I'm a fool. I, I understand most of the people in this room feel the same way. And you're not gonna do anything. Still, please grab one. And the reason is, is we don't want anyone to feel isolated or left out or singled out. And so if you would just grab those, if you've got a pen, grab a pen. There should be a pen near you. I'm going to give you four questions uh, today. And here's the other thing with these envelopes. Uh, This is not for anybody else. It's just for you. So you're going to walk out of here today with a sealed envelope, and ain't nobody going to be looking at it except for your own self. You guys with me so far? All right, so if you just want to write curses about me on there, that's fine. I'll never see it. I've already got some written about you. That's how, this, that's how this relationship works, I think. So I want you guys, over the course of this conversation, there's going to be four questions, and I, w- I would just I strongly encourage you uh, to do that as your next step. The king and creator of the universe has delegated to his creation responsibility to steward his good creation well. You see it in the opening of the Bible, the book of Genesis. It says that God commands people, the crowning glory of his creation, he commands them to work it, the creation, and keep it, to protect it, to manage it, to steward it. And with the the way that that looks in our lives is the resources that he's given to us. Every single person in this room, God has entrusted Regardless of the zeros, God has entrusted a portion of his good creation into your hands for you to be a part of his good creative work throughout the cosmos. When we are stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us, we are actively participating in the work that God is doing in his cosmos. 
And so he has delegated to us that authority. For some of us, this is a brand new conversation. For some of us, we just got our first job. And others of us, we've been working for decades. For some of us, we're just trying to make ends meet. And for others of us, we're, we're in a conversation now about wealth management and how we're going to leave a legacy. For some of us, uh, we're still paying off our student loans. And there's others of us here who are just now trying to figure out how it is that we're going to live off Social Security. There's others of us in the room who have only a few zeros at the end of our bank account, and there's a dot in front of most of those zeros. There are others of us who have many zeros. And listen, listen, now listen to me, you. This conversation pays no mind to how many zeros you have at the end. Generosity is a matter of the heart, not your capacities. A generous heart is what God wants. And moreover, I'm going to push it. If we don't have this conversation, what is the alternative to our views of our relationship with money? Consumer? Let me just ask you, this is many of us, and for those of us that are living in this current cultural moment in America, have you ever actually found happiness in being a consumer? I know that you found it for a minute, You know what I witness in my own life? Every time I get the cool new thing, you know what I want a little bit while later? The next cool new thing. In fact, there's entire companies that are built, their whole profit plan is to make obsolete the thing I just bought and then sell me a new one. I don't walk away feeling fulfilled and joyous. Now, see, okay, here we go. I, at the end of the day, there's times where I wrestle with greed, and I really do just want all your money. So for those of you that are here saying, of course, you're rolling your eyes, and you're saying, pastor, of course, religious dude, religious leader, he just wants to get in my pocket, there are days where that's absolutely true. There are days when I feel like I just want your money so bad, because I think my life would be a lot easier if I had it, because I can be greedy sometimes. And we have systems in place here at Desert Springs to keep me from being able to do that. Praise the Lord, Dave Robinson. (laughs) But as your pastor, on my good days, those days when I'm abiding in the Lord, you know, this is what I want for you. I want your joy. I know that these conversations about money are hard. I know that it sucks to have to think through these painful decisions when we're not educated about it most of the time, when there's a thousand other voices screaming into our lives, but what I see promised by Jesus is that if, he, if we as his disciples strive to live generously, our joy will be multiplied greatly. And I want that for you. And I want that for you in every area of life. Even those areas of life where we feel like we don't talk about in polite company. And by the way, I've said this before, I'm going to keep saying it. We ain't polite company. As a church family, we, we steer into the things that are hard to talk about because Jesus is the king over all of life, not just the things I'm comfy talking to you about. So here we go. Uh, there's a tension I feel, and uh, I'm going to get down to, I don't know how else to say this. So if I stumble into this, if I sin against you in any way, I would just ask you to let your love for God cover over the multitudes of sins that I commit against you is an extreme tension I feel because I have two roles, and you'll see them magnified today. One role is to 
share with you what Jesus is teaching me and what I believe that he's telling us through his word. We do that every week. The second role I have, specifically as lead pastor, is to share with you where we're headed as a church family. And so some of that is conversations about money. Some of that's conversations about how we're going to, you know, build things and invest in things. And here's the tension I feel. I feel like, here's my prayer. God, I don't want to manipulate. I don't want to put guilt on people. I don't want to shame anybody. I don't want anyone walking away with this cloud over their head. I want joy in our congregation. But I'm also responsible to share with you what we believe God's calling us to. And so here's, here's the deal. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually going to do this at the front of the sermon intentionally because the last thing I want you to do is feel like you're being sold something. And I'm just going to talk to just the people uh, who are part of the DSBC family. If God is calling us in a direction, what I want for you is that you follow Jesus however he's leading you, not how I tell you to behave. Like, I don't want anyone here following me unless it just so happens that I am also following Jesus with you. I'm just another disciple on this journey with Jesus. So I want to give this to you. I'm going to share with you. We are uh, this week concluding our 77 days of prayer. I'm so thankful to the hundreds of you that have committed to praying that God would reveal to us what he has next for our church family. Uh, If you're new to Desert Springs, this is an exciting time for us. You know, in 2017, we believed that God was calling us to pay off our mortgage. We had about $700,000 on the mortgage. Because of his grace and your generosity, we were able to pay that off like in a matter of months. And one of the things that we said was we believe that God's calling us to this to set us up for some next phase of ministry. We're a 42-year-old church. You guys are looking great, by the way, for being in your 40s. And we know that God's not done with us. We also know that being debt-free is not our mission. It's just a tool to get us set up for whatever he has next. And so we have been, since October of last year, praying as a church family, God, tell us what you want us to do next. We know you're not done with us. And we've heard from hundreds of you through prayer cards, through emails, through personal conversations, because we believe that if God is going to move us in a certain direction, he's going to move us in a certain direction. He's not just going to tell me, and then I'm going to come tell you. You with me? I am Moses. P.S. Things didn't turn out so great for Moses anyway, so I'm glad I'm not Moses. So one of the things that we've been praying is, God, where are you already at work? And I just want to share two things with you real quick. Number one, we had uh, just max attendance at our splash camp this year. We had over 330 kids hear about Jesus. Many of them were invited by our own kids, and they weren't a part of another church. Which means that many of these kids heard about Jesus in this room for the first time this just a few weeks ago. We love partnering with parents as they disciple their children. But here's the rub. You know we hit capacity in a matter of 20 minutes when we open public registration? I got to be honest, and I'm, I'm bragging on our next-gen team. I literally have other pastors in the Valley who ask me about Splash Camp because it's world-renowned. We have the best summer program People call things, and and if if this is offensive, remember the love covering over since thing. People have things like vacation Bible school. Do you know any kid that wants to go to Bible school for their vacation? No, no, we've got what? Splash camp. Oh, it's amazing. We had to cap it at 330 kids. Why? Because we're out of space. We said no to hundreds of kids who wanted to come to splash camp. We don't have enough square footage under, uh, under roof with air conditioning for these kids. This is a pressure that we're feeling right now anyways, just with our normal day-in and day-out Sunday programs. 
And you know what else was cool too? Right, uh, right around that same time, our student ministries uh, had their summer kickoff. And actually, uh, they wanted to share with you the good news. Uh, this was taken at night, so it might be hard to see, but I think you'll get a glimpse of student ministries. Take a look. Hello, DSBC family. My name is Enrique Salado. I'm one of the leaders here at DSBC, and I'm with some student leaders and students tonight. Hello. We just, we just got done with our youth group night. We had our seventh grade welcome party and our senior celebration. Wasn't it pretty cool? It was yes. We got to welcome new students as well as celebrate seniors who just graduated from high school and are moving on. Uh, but we wanted to come here tonight and tell you about our summer kickoff event, which happened two weeks ago. And uh, our summer kickoff event was amazing. We had uh, carne asada tacos, we had a mechanical bull, we had water slides, we had so much, so many things going on. It was so cool to see so many students coming out here, having a good time and learning about Jesus. Do you guys know how many students we actually had at our summer kickoff event? Over 120! Over 120 students? That's crazy! I know. 120, over 120 students, that's amazing. So cool to have that many students here at DSBC and man, Family, I just want you guys to stay tuned. I hope you stay tuned. We have so many things planned throughout the summer, and we can't wait to keep up updating you at what God is doing in us and through us. So have a good night. That's so cool. Uh, our student ministries team is just knocking it out of the park. Uh, they are doing such a great job. But one of the things that we're feeling is we don't have space for 120 kids to meet. Unless it's in this room and these bolted-in seats are not accommodating for student ministries. Hint, hint. <laughs> Moreover, we recognize that God is blessing this church family with amazing leaders. You saw some of them there on the screen. And we also know, as we heard from you, that God is calling us as a church family to be more intentional and to amp up, turn the volume up on serving and ministering in this community. And so as we've been thinking and praying, as we heard from hundreds of you, our leaders got together, we started categorizing these different things. In these last 77 days, we've been praying through it, and I just want to give you just a glimpse of where we're going over these next few years. Uh, we kept coming back to this idea of 100. God just kept bringing to mind 100, 100, 100, 100. And so just to help us remember what we believe God is calling us to in this next season of ministry is this that we believe that God is calling us to build 100 additional leaders. That's above and beyond our current capacity to raise up leaders, specifically through things like scholarships, internships, and residencies. We'd like to invest about $100,000 in that. That will allow us for people, for young people who say, I believe that God's calling me to be a pastor or to be a missionary or to be a lay leader. We want to be able to provide more training and more development. And this is an area that God's already blessing our church family in. We want to lean into that. You saw some of those leaders just a moment ago. We also want to build 100 safe homes. Uh, what, that, what we mean by that is build or rebuild or refurbish in our own neighborhood. There are hundreds of families whose homes are currently not safe. The building is not to uh, code. The electrical is not safe. The roof is leaking. The, uh, the air conditioner does not work. And we've been partnered with Habitat for Humanity over these last few months to do some exploratory conversations. And they've identified uh, specifically in and around the Palomino area. So think like Cave Creek, 32nd Street, Bell to Greenway. Hundreds of homes, they've recognized hundreds of homes that need to be repaired or rebuilt or built from scratch. We have a meeting coming up with them, but one of the things they told us is, in order to cover the cost, we're going to need hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we've been talking with about seven other churches here in North Phoenix, and the part that Desert Springs that we believe God's calling us to play in that amount is $200,000. That's not the total amount, but 
By the way, we're one of the oldest churches in North Phoenix. We have, we're one of the most well-resourced churches in North Phoenix. And we love working with many of the churches here in North Phoenix, but I think that God has called us to steward the resources that he's given to us well as one of the more mature, more well-resourced churches. And so we want to take a lion's share of uh, the funds that need to be raised. And then 100% more multi-use space on our campus. There's two parts to this. Number one, we have a two-story kids building. Adventure Kids is awesome. They're knocking it out of the park. We only have stairs that will take someone from the floor upstairs, which means we're saying no to folks who want to be a part of what God is doing in and through Adventure Kids who are not able to climb those stairs. Uh, this is huge on my heart. I've been praying about this for, uh, I, I think, almost a year now. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's just not right. And so one of the first things I believe that God is calling us to is to put an elevator in that two-story building. And I'm not talking about some cheap, chintzy pulley system. <laughs> Nothing says welcoming like a dumbwaiter, right? I want state-of-the-art <laughs> because the gospel compels us. And then also a multi-use addition. We're currently talking to our architect and engineers. Uh, the reason that there's such a big gap, a multi-use addition would be an addition like, see that wall? Everybody turn and see that wall. On the other side of that wall is a big square of empty space, a dirt lot. And we believe our architects are saying like, yeah, you should, that would be a great spot for a multi-use space. You could do like the tall ceilings and you could use some of the, the infrastructure that's already here per square foot. That would be your most cost-effective uh, spot to put that. And that's what we're all about, right? Squeezing every ounce of uh, value that we can out of every square foot that we've got. Uh, but we currently can hold weddings, funerals, and ceremonies in here for up to 750 people. And we have no secondary space on our campus that can seat more than 130. Which means after the funeral, where do you go for hugs? You guys with me so far? Just to be servants to this community, we believe that God's calling us to add more multi-use space. That includes things like Adventure Kids. Uh, we've, our staff has been working. We, we, we've already got everything booked up <laughs> for the building with what God's already doing here. So this is not a, if you build it, they will come. This is a, God's already building the church. We believe he wants to move in this area. The reason there's such a big difference in those numbers is this. Uh, I'm not giving my commentary on any of these things. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. Things like tariffs labor prices and stuff like that, that our architect and engineers are just like, we, we, have no, we don't know, man. We don't know how much stuff's going to cost. Especially, and here's the rub, we are committed to doing all this debt-free. We ain't taking on a mortgage. And so someone's in this room like, who's going to write the $1.5 million check? No. Here's my heart, and this is what I want for us. There's over 500 households that participate in supporting Desert Springs, the ministry of Desert Springs financially. I believe that far beyond just the numbers, which are huge numbers, I mean, the sticker shock makes me go, <laughs> I think that Jesus wants us to enter into hard conversations about what it means to truly live as his disciples as we think about living generously. So here's what we're not going to do. I'm not doing a pledge drive. We're not going to do a pledge drive. I'm not going to ask you, even though I really want to know, I'm not going to ask you what you would intend to give above and beyond towards this area. Because at the end of the day, you don't report to me. I'm just another disciple following Jesus with you. But here's what I do want. I want you to have the conversation with Jesus. 
I want you to have. I want this to be a moment to say, what does it mean for me to be a part of Desert Springs as a fellow disciple of Jesus, corporately pursuing what he has for us? And here's another deep belief I have. If this is the vision that God has given to us, which by the way, if it's not, we're gonna shut it down. If this is the vision that God has given to us, then I fully believe that he will resource us to do that vision. But he doesn't do it out of nowhere. He's gonna do it through us because far more than just raising money, I think he wants us to grow as his disciples. I think he wants us to have hard conversations about money and generosity. Because 10 years from now, five years from now, whatever it is, hopefully a year from now, we'll have all this done. But when we look at a building or we look at houses built, we don't just sit and say, ah, the kingdom of God. (laughs) This wasn't here. This is why we have to have this generosity conversation. And so here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. I'm gonna go through four key scriptures and I'm gonna give you four key questions for you to consider as you have these kitchen table conversations. The first text, uh, as we think about generous stewardship, we're gonna look at the impact, the roadblocks, the foundation, and the mechanics. I'm gonna give you four key scriptures. These have been so formative to me. that The first we'll put up on the screen here is this. First Timothy 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present age. By the way, if you drove here, that's you. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be, what's the word? Arrogant, or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on whom? Who richly provides us with, come on, all things to what? See, this is about joy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly, oh, consumerism leads to death. But generosity gives us a glimpse of what it means to grasp what is truly life. You see, generosity is simply living out the gospel with my money. What is truly life? Have you found the joy? Have you found the joy in generosity? Regardless of where you give, right? Whether you give at Dutch Springs, whether you give to St. Vincent de Paul, whether you give to Caleb Campbell personal fund, always an option. Regardless of where you give, have you found the joy of generosity? Uh, last week I gave, uh, I, I did a side job. Somebody paid me cash for the side job. I had 50 bucks and I gave it to Jorge Lujan, who uh, is an amazing leader in uh, Young Life. And I ran into Jorge. By the way, that wasn't a setup. I really did. He raised his hand, so I called him up and I gave him the money. And it was my money, and that was really hard to do. But, you know, I'm trying to impress all you people, so I did it. <laughs> and I asked him before I gave him the money, I said, are you willing to commit to asking yourself four key questions before you spend the money? He said, yeah, I'm willing to do that. If you guys missed that, Take a look at the sermon online. Love for you to do that so you can be caught up. But I ran into him uh, at the coffee shop. He said, oh, hey, man, check this out. He showed me this picture. He's like, you want to know what that 50 bucks did? It bought food for a multi-hour hangout with North Canyon's high school team, uh, high school uh, football team. Now, here's the deal. And I'm doing this just to show you I'm trying to put this into practice and I'm not asking you to do something I'm unwilling to do, all right? So this isn't like a toot the old horn thing, although it might sound like it. When I saw those faces and I looked down at like the food and the cutlery and the little muffins and everything, 
I was a part of that. Like, I was a part of what Jesus was doing through Jorge's life to minister to these people that I've never met yet. I got to be a part of that. I remember looking at that and just smiling because I found that there was joy in the giving. Have you found the joy in generosity? Or is it like taxes, like you got to pay your God tax? So I want you to answer, uh, ask this question to yourself on those index cards. Am I experiencing joy in generosity? Am I experiencing joy in generosity? Not begrudging, not compulsion, not shame. Am I experiencing joy in generosity? I was talking to someone from our church family who I love and have huge respect for, and she's living on really meager income. One of the things she told me is that she takes her soda, you know, the two liters of soda. What else do you guys call it? Pop, yeah, that's ridiculous. Soda. And she dilutes it so it'll last twice as long. So the money that she would spend from the other soda, she can give away. Because it's so much more joyful, she said, to do that than to have extra soda. Are you experiencing the joy of generosity? Number two, what are roadblocks to generous stewardship? This is Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11. Boy, if this isn't an indictment on the American way of life, I don't know what is. Ooh, it got real quiet in here, yeah. The one who loves silver is never what? Satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. When good things increase, (laughs) I love, this is what I mean with the America thing. Oh, this is so offensive for me to say. When good things increase, the one who consumes them, what? (laughs) Ah, the American consumer continues to multiply itself because it's never what? Do you want to live a life of never being satisfied? Just being on the treadmill? Is that what you want for your life? To be on the treadmill of possession attainment? You see, what, one of the roadblocks is that there's never enough. And I don't, listen, listen, listen. It doesn't matter how many zeros are at the end of your bank account. We all have a strong temptation to believe this. If I could just get a little more, then I'll be what? Satisfied. Then I'll be satisfied. Is that true? How's that been working for you? I remember my first paycheck. I remember getting it. I remember looking at it. I remember smelling it. Then I took it to the bank, and I turned it into cash. And I took all that cash, and I was like, yeah! Look at all this money I've got. And then it dried up. And when the next paycheck came around, you know what I said? If I could just get a little bit more, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll have enough. Then I'll, then I'll be at peace. And you know what happened? I just got paid on Friday from, from here. And I looked at my check. And it's way bigger than that first check when I was a dishwasher at Floridino's. 21 years ago. That's a long time ago. And you know what I said to myself? My, the first inclination of my heart, if I could just get a little... Oof, a little more, 
then I wouldn't have so many problems. Then my family would behave. Then I'd be happy and free. And you know what Jesus tells me? That's a consumer mentality, bro. You're a steward, and whatever I give you is what I give you. We'll continue. The foundation of generosity. Oh, everybody take a big deep breath in because this is such a scary conversation for us. Oh, man. I'm going to give you the second question. Your second question is this. How much will I keep? How much will I keep? When I think about never being satisfied, I hear people ask me this question, Caleb, how much should I give? I'm going to push on that, right? First, thanks for asking the question, but I, I want to reframe the question because it, it, it puts the ownership back into my court. It puts the possessions back into my grip. If I simply ask, how much am I supposed to give, what I'm asking is, how much is the God tax? And so I want to reframe the question to this. Recognizing that everything that I have is God's, how much of it am I going to choose to keep? Have you asked yourself that question? doesn't matter the amount of zeros at the end of your bank account. That question strikes every single one of us in the exact same way, like this. But there's freedom in the release. Not how much will I give, but how much will I keep? And that will help, that will be an active, that's an active way for you to wage war against the consumeristic, selfish mentality. How much will I keep? The third thing, uh, the foundation of generous stewardship. Keep your life free from the love of what? Money. Be satisfied, there's that word again, with what you have. For he, now the he here is Jesus. Okay? For he himself has said, I will never leave you, or what? I will never leave you or abandon you. And you know where I feel myself not believing this promise most of all? Is in the area of my money. Oh, my money. I love you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus, in everything except for my future, my safety, and my security. For that, I need money. Because it's been working out so far. No. You see what this text, this, this is so wise. This ancient wisdom in the book of Hebrews is so wise because it's, it's keying off to the idol of my heart. If God is truly my God, then I'm free with this conversation. Amen. But if I do not find myself satisfied in Jesus, then I'm worried all the time, I'm scared of the future, and the first thing that I'm going to cling to for my safety and security is my bank account. And that is not, frankly, I don't want to give money that power over me because it hasn't worked so far. How about you? Third question. Who am I? <laughs> oh, man, that we would live this out. Who am I? Because the minute you ask the second question, <laughs> how much shall I keep? The next feeling, at least if you're anything like me, the next feeling is, but what about the future? But what about the scary? But what about the evil I see in the world? Yeah, I know. And I think the author of Hebrews is 
shaping us, is guiding us towards this third question, who am I? But not just who, who do I think I am, who am I in Christ? A friend of mine, uh, actually mentor uh, through seminary, shared this with me, and I'm going to butcher the details, so please don't, this is not like a direct citation or quote, but the principle's there. He had a, uh, a couple in his congregation come to him and, and lay down the newspaper, and they were on the front page. And all their wealth had been taken away, burnt up, because of some misdealings that was out of their control. And they said, we're ruined. And you know what uh, my pastor friend said? You haven't lost a thing. If Jesus is who he says he is, and you are who he says you are, what have you lost? You haven't lost a thing. Your dignity, your worth, your value, your identity, the love of the king and creator of the universe, that cannot be taken away from you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so at those hard kitchen table conversations, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who am I in Christ? Who does Jesus say I am? And by the way, if we ask ourselves that question every hour of every day, we'll transform this city. And the fourth thing is this, the mechanics of generous stewardship. Each person, who does that include? Y'all folks. Each person should do as they have decided in their heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. All right, I'm going to tell it to you like it is. If you're giving the God tax, if you're giving out of compulsion, if you're giving because you think that it's, you're going to feel the pressure to do it, I, like I want that money, don't get me wrong. I do not think God is honored. I, I, I don't think he actually wants that for you. I think what he wants for you is joy. Amen. Have you experienced the joy in generosity? And if you're not there yet, man, keep pursuing after Jesus, learning about who he is, listening to him, talking to him through prayer. For God loves a what? Cheerful giver. And God, oh, and then we get back to this promise, right? The, the biblical authors know the human heart. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Fourth question. Where does God want me to direct these funds? Where does God want me to direct these funds? And if that question feels like compulsion, feels like begrudgingly, something you would do begrudgingly, if that feels like shame, I want you to back up to the first question and start the process over again in prayer. You with me? My desire for you is that you would experience the joy in a generous life, that you would not come to the end of your days building a legacy of selfish, self-centered consumerism, but rather that you would live life free from the love of money, clinging to Jesus, knowing that he is so good, and recognizing that you in him always have everything you need. 
So what are our next steps? I'm going to encourage you. Uh, we'll put it up here on the screen. There's a, a, a website. I've written down some thoughts. There's a ton of resources for you to take your next step. dsbc.church slash living generously. There's coaches. If you're in debt and you want to meet with a coach to get out, find a way to get out of debt, create a plan. Maybe you're having conversations about how you're going to live on this newly adjusted income. Or maybe for, for many of you, you're the first one in your family to be making six figures and no one's ever had this conversation with you. Or you're living off of social security and you're wondering, well, how much of the soda do I dilute? Regardless of where you're at in this conversation, Jesus wants you to find joy in living generously and we wanna help you take those next steps. You can visit that website for more information. I asked you to consider four questions. I'm gonna put them up here on the screen. Number one, how am I experiencing joy and generosity? Number two, how much will I keep? Number three, who does Jesus say that I am? And finally, where does God want me to direct these funds? However you choose to answer those questions, here's what we're going to do next. I'm going to ask that you would take that card. If you're still not in the position to answer those questions, don't seal the envelope. But I'm going to ask. I'm going to actually, I'm going to push you on this because I think this is so important for us. Don't let this week go by without pursuing answers to those questions. Don't, don't put this in the back pocket or in the sleeve of the Bible and then just let it go into oblivion. If we're not disciplining ourselves to have these conversations about money and finances, we will, I believe, fall into the trap of rampant consumerism because it's all around us. And so please, don't let this week go by without engaging in those questions. If you filled it out and you've answered those questions today or you want to come back next week or the week after, here's what we're going to do because I know this is hard. I would ask that you would, on the front of that envelope, when you're done with the card, seal it in there. Nobody here is going to look at it. This is between you and God. I'm going to ask you to seal the envelope, and I'm going to ask you to write your mailing address on the front. Because we're going to mail this back to you. Here's what we're going to do. If you would please, after you seal it and address it, place it in one of the boxes on the doors as you leave. And you can do that any uh, Sunday uh, in the next couple of weeks. And here's what we're committed to doing uh, with you as leaders, is we're going to pray specifically for every person who's going to have this conversation. We want to specifically name you in prayer. We're not going to look at it. We're not going to put it under the light, right? Reseal it. None of those tricks. As your pastor, I want to join you in prayer because I know firsthand this is a super hard conversation. And I know that we need to continue to be a church family of prayer. And I want for you a life of joyous generosity. And I want to be your partner in prayer. Our leaders want to do that. And so you can leave it. And then what we're going to do is in October, after about three months, we're going to mail it back to you. And we're, going to, we're committing to praying between now and that time uh, with you. And then when we mail it back uh, to you, what I'd, what I'd like for you to actually think through is, how have you been seeing God at work over these three months? Far beyond any sort of budget or campaign or building whatever, what we want for you is that you would experience the joy of generosity. And we want to put that into perspective, and so we want to mail it back to you. Man, I love you guys so much. Jesus loves you. As we enter into this hard conversation, I'm so proud of you guys for sticking with us. Let us be a people who cling to Jesus. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the many ways that you love us, oh man, and that you provide for us everything that we need to be obedient to you and to find a life of joy generosity and grace. We want to be a people compelled by your love to live life open-handedly. 
to live life generously. Would you empower us to do this and to have this conversation even today? We pray this in Jesus' name, knowing that you love us. Amen.